And I think it's recognizing that the intersections exist, that yes, it's going to be complex to address issues pertaining to intersections, but we have to start from somewhere. We have to do what we can. Hello and welcome to the Medical Women podcast, the podcast from the Medical Women's Federation, the largest body of women doctors in the UK. I'm Dr. Nathana Bayankaram, I'm the Vice President of MWF and I have the honour and joy of being your host as each week we hear from wonderful guests to help you feel more empowered and confident on your medical career journey. Hello and welcome to episode 10 of the Medical Women podcast. I can't quite believe that we're on episode 10 already. Um, This started off as a podcast just with a plan for one season and then we'll see how it goes. But I've just had so many suggestions of guests and topics that I think we'll just keep it going as a weekly podcast. So thank you so much for listening and for all the lovely reviews. It's a bit strange with podcasts because you can't interact with your audience. So you make an episode and then you put it out there and then I actually have no idea who's listening, how helpful they're finding it, how the episodes are landing. And the only way that I know that is from the reviews that we get and the emails that people send in. So thank you so much. I really appreciate everybody that's taken the time to write a review. If you listen to the podcast and you haven't yet written a review, I would so appreciate if you could spend a couple of minutes on Apple Podcasts. I think that's the only platform where you can actually write a review. Or if you could just drop me an email or a tweet just to say how you're finding the episodes, that would be really, really helpful. Thank you. So a few times on the podcast, we've spoken about leadership. And regular listeners will know that I firmly believe that we're all leaders, regardless of what stage of our career we're at and what formal roles we do or don't have. My guest this week is the perfect example of this. Dr. Olamide Dada is a foundation year one doctor. And while she was a medical student, she founded Melanin Medics, a nonprofit charitable organization for the present and future African and Caribbean doctor. She's now the founder and chief executive, and she leads a team doing fantastic work. In this episode, we discuss the intersectionality of race and gender in medicine and the wonderful work she's doing with her team at Melanin Medics. Olamide is such a lovely and inspiring medical woman. I hope you enjoyed listening to our conversation. So welcome back, everybody, to another episode of the Medical Women podcast. And I'm really excited today to be speaking with Dr. Olamide Dada. Hello, Olamide. Welcome to the podcast. Hello. Thank you so much for having me. So Olamide started or founded Melanin Medics, and I'm going to ask her to tell us a little bit about herself and about Melanin Medics. Yeah, so um, my name is Olamide Dada. I am a doo doctor working in the southeast of England, and I started Melanin Medics about five years ago. So when I was a young medical student, pretty much fresh into the, the medical field, and it was started based off of my own experience for a lot of it. And as time went on, I kind of realized that my own experience wasn't the only experience that was like that, that there were many others that were similar. So yeah, so I started Melanin Medics at the end of my first year, just as a means to encourage people who were from African and Caribbean backgrounds who wanted to study medicine, who had aspirations, who were considering it, and just to show them that it actually was possible 
and to provide any tool that I could to support them in their journeys. And I know just how difficult it can be when you're trying to apply to medical school and you don't have people you can look up to or you can easily access for support. You don't have work experience that's in a hospital. I know that that could be challenging to come by. And also with challenges with teachers as well and predicted grades, there's just so many different obstacles that can come in the way. Um, and I really wanted to make sure that we're being part of that positive change. You know, you hear quotes like, be the change that you want to see. And as cringy as it was, that was pretty much what I was going for. And so far, so good. So, yeah, that's a bit about how we started. Oh, that's amazing. Well, we're big fans of Be the Change that you want to see at, at MWF. And I think it's incredible that you started it as, as a medical student. You know, um, our membership ranges from medical students all the way to retired doctors. Mm-hmm. And I think regardless of what career stage we're at, sometimes we do get imposter syndrome and think, oh, who am I to be starting this? So I think this is so lovely that, you know, it just shows that each of us can go and, and be the change. And it doesn't have to be, oh, I have to wait for somebody who is head of NHS England to go and make this change. Each of us is um, is a leader in our own right. So I think it's it's wonderful. So that was five years ago, you said. Um, so how has how has Melanin Medics grown since then? This is definitely one of my favourite questions, uh, just because I think it's so nice to be able to reflect on how far we've come in such a short space of time. Um, so when we started, I started it as a blog and I was just writing every week and sharing blog articles for the first 10 months before expanding the team. Uh, and as time went on, you know, we realised that there was just a need to, to do more. Um, to do everything that we could to bring people together to provide support whether it be peer support or mentoring support um, and other free services that young people could have access to so we started to function as an organization and then we registered as a charity a few years ago so now we are a national charity and we are run by a team of dedicated volunteers many medical students and doctors really just giving up their time to support people around them. But yeah, we do a whole heap of stuff. Where do I begin? One of the main things that we're known for is mentoring. So mentoring aspiring medics, so students who are in year 12, just giving them the tools that they need to successfully apply to medical school and also opening them up to greater educational opportunities. So that program is called the Envision Med Program, and that's supported by Lucy Cavendish College at the University of Cambridge. So that's been an amazing program to introduce, probably one of my favourite things about the organisation. As time went on, we also developed a mentoring programme for final year medical students as they transition into their working careers as as doctors, just because we want to set the right foundations and want to make sure that they're well supported and they feel confident navigating their career journeys. So that's been really, really great. Aside from that, we do events um, across the country, Of course, COVID has limited what we've been able to do. And then we also do a lot of advocacy work, speaking to, you know, other organisations, to medical schools, um, delivering workshops to medical students and healthcare professionals across the country as well. Just trying to show what it looks like to promote diversity in medicine and, and really deliver it in a practical sense where people feel that they can take action. Yeah, and alongside that, we're always looking for opportunities to just support people in their career development, get them involved in research, get them involved in things that they normally would have shied away from. So yeah, we've come 
a very long way. We've been able to reach so many young people over the years, so many medical students, as well as have the support of many doctors, which has contributed to our melanin medics ecosystem, as we call it. But now we're in the position to really support people right from when they think they want to study medicine up until the point where they're practicing as doctors um, and just coming along on that journey with them. I think that's absolutely wonderful that it's developed into this this ecosystem of of support. That's that's really really lovely and and so important. So more power to to, to you and the team at, at Melanin Medics. And where you know we're always keen to to kind of work with and and support just getting more more diversity because it's it's so so important to um to have more diversity and inclusion and everybody having a seat at the table is definitely what mwf is is all about it's interesting before um we started this conversation i was just having a look through through the history of women in medicine and i I was thinking oh i don't actually know any information about who the first female doctor who was a woman of color is so it's having a look so I can't actually find any information about the UK but I did find information about the US so Elizabeth Blackwell was the first woman to become uh, a doctor she grew up in the UK then moved to the US and trained in the US so went to medical school in the US in 1847 and then came and practiced in the UK so she was the first woman to be on the GMC register from what I can see the first woman that was of African Caribbean descent that became a doctor was a woman called Rebecca Lee Krupler, who, from what I've read, uh, she graduated uh, about 20 years after Elizabeth, Elizabeth Blackwell in the US, and all of her contemporaries were white and they were male. Um, so she really struggled because at that time being a doctor as a woman was difficult enough because there was so much sexism and prejudice against women doctors. Um, but she had that double whammy of being a woman and a person of color and practicing. So from what I was reading, it was it was really difficult for her. All of her colleagues sort of like ignored her, didn't really respect her. They ignored things that she advised patients, but she just carried on and um, was working particularly in child health and women's health. So I thought that was I thought that was really interesting to to look at. So that kind of segues into what I wanted to speak to you about today is this intersectionality of race and and gender in medicine so I wonder if you can speak to us a little bit about that yes yeah sure definitely um, and I think it is great that you brought up Rebecca Lee Krupper, um, just because she represents a lot to so many people <laughs> you know people like myself people like yourself probably just considering the journey that she went through and also just thinking about how much has changed you know have things changed and on a surface level, you know, we might perceive that they have, but actually for people who are experiencing, you know, practicing medicine as, as a doctor, um, as a female doctor from an ethnic minority background in this day and age, the challenges still exist, but perhaps in a different way. And, and they've evolved with time. I think the challenge with intersectionality, particularly in medicine, is that You can walk into a room and people are behaving in a discriminatory way towards you, but you can't unpick it. You can't say it's because you're a woman or you can't say it's because you're, you know, from an ethnic minority background, unless there is somebody else who shares one characteristic with you and they're not receiving that type of treatment. So they're a, a kind of comparison point. And that can be challenging. That can be challenging, you know, navigating your place. That can be challenging 
battling against stereotypes, not because of the way you have behaved or the way that you have, you know, acted within that environment, but merely because of the perceptions or preconceived ideas that people have. I think within medicine, you know, things like the gender pay gap, there's also an ethnicity pay gap, which found that Black women were actually you know, at the the bottom end in terms of what they were receiving in comparison to white male counterparts. And that just shows that, yes, things may progress on a surface level and you may, you know, have favourable experiences with colleagues, which are all great, but actually where it counts or where people aren't as likely to really look deeper into, everyone's very protective about how much they earn. They don't speak as openly. I can speak particularly in you know, African and Caribbean cultures, you you keep it to your chest. You don't just say, this is what I earn and discuss that with colleagues. But you can see that there definitely is work that still needs to be done. And I think it's recognising that the intersections exist, that yes, it's going to be complex to address issues pertaining to intersections, but we have to start from somewhere. We have to do what we can. And with everything that we do or every step that we take, that's something to learn from and to refine and and move forward and continually aspiring for more and aspiring for better, not just for ourselves, but for our colleagues as well. Yep, absolutely. I'm nodding vigorously to to everything that that you're saying there, because you're right. I think this is why I quite like sort of looking back at history, because it kind of shows, well, how far have we come, but also how, how far have we not come with some things and what work do we still need to do? And as you say, with the with the um, gender pay gap and the gender ethnicity gap, and one of our other episodes is is on the subject of the gender pay gap with Professor Dame Jane Dacre, um, and she spoke about if you are a woman and then you've got something else, like if you're from a minority ethnic group, then there's an increased gap. So there are all these other factors that we do need to think about, and and as you say, on individual levels, it's it's different to systemic bias, and it's that systemic bias that. That still exists, and that's what that's what we're we're working to to change. So I guess you know it's we we need to work collectively to change systems. But on an on an individual level, what can if people are listening and they they feel like, well, what can I do to be an ally to my colleagues that might be from an ethnic minority group? What what kind of advice would you give? Yeah, I think the the thing about allyship is that you can't just of your own accord say that I'm a good ally because you're doing things that you think would help. The people who really determine whether allyship is a benefit is the people who you're advocating for, the people who you're supporting, and you have to be receptive to their responses, to your actions. And I think with allyship, you really have to humble yourself. You know, I'm learning to be an ally in so many other different spheres. And it's challenging and it can be uncomfortable and it can mean, okay, looking at why did I behave this way in response to what that person said or in response to when this person entered the room and really critically analysing that. And I think you definitely have to make sure that when mistakes are made, you're not just saying, okay, well, I tried and it didn't work and that's it. Um, But it's that constant desire to, to improve. It's that constant desire to actually support those around you. And like I said, it it can be difficult, especially in this time where, you know, allyship has been a a big buzzword (laughs) recently. And a lot of people question whether there's authentic, truly authentic allies and truly authentic allyship going on just because of the the 
benefit to optics and things like that. But I think with allyship, you really have to start where you are. You really have to commit to learning, you know, based on experiential evidence, as well as, you know, what data has suggested about the challenges people are facing. Um, and not expecting a one-size-fits-all approach as well. You know, there's certain challenges that people will say, okay, because I'm from an ethnic minority group, I must be facing these challenges. And actually, in reality, I'm not. But that doesn't mean other people aren't. And I think it, it's not using that, oh, I, yeah, I have this friend and they're not going through this, so it can't exist. But just recognising that actually, as a group on a systemic level, there are so many different things that need to be addressed. And I also think it's really important to know when to, to step up. And it's also important to know when to step back. You know, to step back means actually to allow other people's voices to be heard. Um, <laughs> that can be difficult, you know, if you like your ego straight, do you like the sound of your own voice? Um, but I think in, in reality, you know, some people can be in the exact same space as you, yet despite what they say, they won't be heard. But by you taking that conscious effort to step back in that moment, that can really make a difference. And then also knowing when to step up, knowing when more is required of you, knowing when to speak out, knowing when to challenge things, knowing when to step up for the individual. So actually checking, are you okay? Is there anything that I can do to support you? Um, and really acting on, on whatever feedback that they say. I think that's equally as important too. Yeah, ab absolutely. I, I completely agree. I think I really like the, the way that you, you spoke about the stepping up and, and stepping back. And that's something that, you know, e each of us can do. As you say, sometimes you kind of feel, oh, well, my friend so-and-so, like they don't have this experience, but just because they don't doesn't mean that other people don't. And it's it's looking at it on a, on a broader level. I What I've heard from quite a few colleagues is that they didn't really think about this intersection until after the Black, Life, Black Lives Matter movement started in 2020. Um, and then since then, I've had a few colleagues sort of say, oh, you know, I never thought about this, that patients might perceive perceive you as someone of colour in a different way to me. I wonder if, if you and in your work with Melanin Medics, if you've noticed that there's been much difference or if there's been much more interest in, your, in, in the work that you do since then. Yeah, um, I think, you know, the Black Lives Matter movement or the kind of resurgence of, of that particular movement in 2020, it came at a good time. Um, and of course, the events surrounding it were really tragic. But I think hopefully there are lessons and key takeaways that can last for a very, very long time. I think, you know, it, we did experience an increased kind of support and increased traction and the increased focus on our organization. And the interesting thing for us anyway, as an organization is that internally, it didn't change much. We were always doing what we, we said we were going to do. You know, we put promoting diversity in medicine, we put pushing for or advocating for racial equality within medicine at the core of what we do. Um, and, and that hasn't changed, it didn't change then, it hasn't changed now. And I think the thing about movements is that they happen in waves and we all have to be conscious of that just because we know that people are well-intentioned and we know that there are things that are going to take our focus, you know, time after time, you blink and you're distracted. But I think it's been really, really beneficial for us as an organisation to see that increase in support 
whether that support is long lasting, you know, we, we have a, a great network of support even prior to, to the movement, but whether the, I wouldn't say pressurized actions that people were taking, but it's like, you know, when emotions are high and everybody wants to do something now and be yeah. seen doing something now, I think, you know, as time goes on, that, that kind of wears out. So you see who's still standing, who's still really passionate about this, who's measuring their progress, like they said they would, um, who's holding themselves to account, despite the fact that nobody's watching anymore. And I think that's what we're looking at now. But we're really fortunate to, to have a great support network around us um, of people, you know, directly impacted by our work and also people who support us. Um, and who are allies to our organization so so we're really really grateful for that yep I think that's that's so right that it's it kind of comes in a wave and then it's seeing to how we can make sure that that momentum continues and and that there is actually change rather than everybody saying yes we we see that this is a problem we see that this needs to be changed but um, no actions actually um, actually coming from it. So, in terms of the the future for Melanin Medics, what what kind of things have you have you got coming up in the pipeline? Yeah, oh, that's that's a great question. Yeah, we turned we officially turned five in twenty twenty two, so that's exciting. Um, and just reflecting on all that we've done and looking forward at the next five years at what we hope to achieve. I think we definitely want to make sure that we're securing the pipeline of the next generation of, you know, doctors of Black heritage. Um, that's something that's super, super important to me and to, to the team. Um, and we definitely want to continue to do that. I think we also want to provide opportunities, not just for kind of social interaction and networking and career building opportunities but really making sure that we're actually adding to people so being able to support people in different projects that they want to undertake or qualifications um, really being able to aid them in that way that's something that we're passionate about also trying to expand our reach I think you know the UK sometimes we forget that the UK isn't just London but there's so many people across the UK and we really want to make sure that we're reaching them as effectively as possible um, and I think we've also come to realise, well, we've known for a while, but there's a lot to learn from our colleagues of, of around the world. Um, and it's trying to see how can we encourage shared learning? Um, how can we make sure that we're all advocating or we're sharing best practice in order to promote diversity in medicine? Um, we'd love for our workshops to become a staple across NHS trusts and medical schools, really showing people what it means to be an ally to your colleagues what it means to advocate for your patients definitely definitely interested in that and yeah just continuing to do what we're doing to support as many people as possible um, I'd say that's what we're looking forward to doing oh it all sounds absolutely wonderful and we're, <laughs> we're sure that you will continue to to be making um, lots of lots of changes so it started off with you doing a blog and then over time it's grown it's grown to a team how how have you found that? Because you must have had to kind of start leading and, and managing a, a team. So what's your experience of that been? It's, it's been interesting. It's been great. For the most part, it's been great. I think, you know, when I started, I never anticipated it becoming what it has today. Um, you know, there's no school that they can teach you how to, to 
lead a charity they don't do that yeah <laughs> um, much to my dismay but it's been such a great and it's not just lead a charity you founded a charity and then you're leading yeah yeah exactly I, see that's the thing you never realize that it's actually two separate things until you yeah. see people just say yeah I founded it but I don't lead it or I lead it but I didn't found it but it's been such a huge learning experience um it's been one of the biggest blessings I can say just because I think there was a lot or I would have limited myself in terms of what I thought I could achieve or what I thought I could do had I not you know pursued this new venture just out of my passion and I think the thing about leadership you see yourself kind of evolve as time goes on and even with the challenges that that are brought your way you have no choice but to navigate them and to get through them I know one of the the jokes were it wasn't really a joke but my parents would always say if you're not a medic then what is melanin medics so that kind of pushed me to make sure that <laughs> I was committed <laughs> it pushed me to make sure that I was committed to becoming the best doctor that I could be in and really seeing that come to life and that was the one of the biggest gifts that I could give to the organization that I was leading to actually go through that process but yeah, I'd say it, it's been great. I've worked with amazing people. There have been challenges, there have been arts, there have been great highlights. And I think, I always say I'm, I'm not really a very business savvy person. I'm more of impacts driven and people and how it makes them feel and the difference it has on their lives. And this is just the perfect space for myself and for many people in our team to just realise that and to realise so many things about themselves that they never knew before. So yeah, it's, it's been a, a whirlwind, but I, I'm grateful for it. Yep. And you're, you're doing brilliantly. And I think, you know, it, it comes across so much how, how much of an impact you, you want to make and how much of a, of a difference. So I think, yep, I think it's, it's absolutely wonderful. And I'm sure it's going to continue to, to grow even bigger and better um, as, as time goes on in, in future. So I have a few uh, quickfire questions for you, if, um, <laughs> if that's okay. Yeah, so my okay. first one is if you could recommend uh, a book, uh, one or two books that, that you think people should read. Yeah. Okay. So I'm trying to figure out, I'm trying to like visualize my Kindle <laughs> and the books that I have. Um, so one of the books that I definitely recommend is a book called Boundaries. That was really, really good. I think sometimes when you kind of start things or you're really passionate about things, just let boundaries get blurred. Um, and I think it taught me how to really value the time that I spend within my organisation, that I spend within my academics at the time and amongst friends and families and how to respect other people's boundaries and, you know, try and ensure people respect by as well. Um, but I think it was just one of those healthy lessons that I needed to learn so yeah I definitely recommend boundaries that's the main one I can think of right now but I do okay. like novels and stuff so I'm just digging my way through different novels <laughs> brilliant we'll, we'll definitely put a link to, to boundaries in in the show notes my <laughs> next question is is there something that you know now that you wish that you had known earlier on in your career and I know that you're you're a, a very junior doctor but you still <laughs> had a me medical career through through medical school and um, mm. and and since you qualified so far yeah I think everyone's winging it I, I you know when people used to tell me that before like I never believed them I was like no you have a plan like you know exactly what you're doing 
But really and truly, everyone is actually winging it. Um, and I think that's why you shouldn't allow your perception of like a certain position or a certain role to stop you from going for it if it's something that you want to do. There's a book that I'm going to start reading. Um, it's called Start Now, Get Perfect Later. And I think that that's such a good thing to hold on to. There's this false perception that you need to at be, be at this level to do what this, this and this. But actually, no, you need to have a commitment to, to learning throughout the entire process. But you also need to get started um, because getting started is actually one of the most difficult steps to take. Um, so, yeah, I definitely say that just understanding that everyone's winging it and you don't have to have it all together, but just giving your best at whatever stage that you're at. Yep. I think that's, I think that's spot on there that, you know, we kind of think, I remember being like a medical student or, or an F1 and sort of seeing the registrars and being like, oh, they know exactly what they're doing. And then once I became a registrar, um, it coincided <laughs> with the start of the pandemic. And I was like, I've no idea oh what I'm doing. But neither did anybody else. And that made me feel, feel much better because I was like, no one knows what they're doing. It's fine. Um, and actually, that's really reassuring when when you realise that. So I think that's um, I think that's a, a really good and important point that, that you made there. Is there any advice that you have been given that you found really helpful that you think might help other people? It's difficult to think of something specifically at the moment, but I'll say something that I kind of learned over time is that like what you have is is enough to begin um and I think it kind of echoes the the point that that I made previously about like starting now and getting perfect later I think at the end of the day you know once if if I knew that this is what Melina Medics would become I probably wouldn't have started in the way that I did but actually that organic start that rough around the edges start it really took a lot you know out of me but it in a good way I think it it really refined what I was passionate about and that was the basis of everything that I would do moving forward and that we would do as an organization um, and I think another thing that I've also learned and, and some great advice I remember my best piece of advice okay so so I went, I went to the BMA ARM like three years ago now. Wow, the pandemic, <laughs> making time fly. But and, and I met the American Medical Association president and the Canadian Medical Association president. And they were just absolutely boss women. Okay, They were amazing. So for the Canadian Medical Association president, she was the first woman of color to occupy that role. Similarly, for the American Medical Association president, she was the first black woman to occupy that role as well. And, you know, we asked, like, is there any advice of you, my friends? Is there any advice that you would give us? And one of them said, you know, one thing you need is allies, mentors and sponsors. Um, and it's important to recognize the difference. So sponsors are people who may not be able to walk you through every stage of life like a mentor would, but they're there to they're able to vouch for you when opportunities arise and say this person would be good they think of you, you you know you kind of come to mind and they're constantly looking for for ways to just bring you up or elevate you in a way um mentors on the other hand are people who are there to guide you and um, they're there to support you they're there to challenge you they're there to grow with you as well and, and see you on that journey it's a lot more of a kind of closer relationship 
whereas allies are people who support you they may not be able to give you uh, the attention and, and things like mentors do but it's that kind of public display of the support that personal display of support as well that really goes a long way and I think those things are really important um, and just recognizing who those people are in in your life as well and if you feel like you're lacking in one that's okay but trying to seek out ways to to speak to people you aspire um, or to to really just have conversations with people who you consider to be role models as well I think that that's a really important piece of advice that I got and it's been very valuable yeah that is that is really important and really important to know the the difference between the roles as as you say and if anyone's listening thinking oh where do I find mentors or sponsors or allies then I think Melanin Medics and the Medical Women's Federation are definitely places that you can go um, for for those things. My last uh, quickfire question is a question that I'm borrowing from the Royal College of Pediatrics and Child Health and US group who are a group of children and young people that work with the RCPCH and they asked this question last year when they were doing the interviews for people applying for the role of president at the RCPCH so the question is, if you were a type of biscuit, what type of biscuit would you be and why? Wow, that is, that is a great question. I would it is, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> okay, so I'm trying not to just think about my favourite biscuit. I'm trying to think more metaphorically. Um, I'm thinking of a Jaffa cake. There's no logical reason here. <laughs> I just like Jaffa cakes. That's but fine. That that's I, a logical enough reason. If you like yeah, Jaffa cakes, no, that's fair but, enough. But I guess I guess they're like sweet on the inside, right? You know, so it's like the the nice chocolatey exterior. I love chocolate, so chocolate has to be there. And then the like jam is on the inside. It's it's really nice. And then there's like soft. It's like soft on the on the bottom. Do you get what I mean? So it's like break through each layer. And there's just more. Yeah, you know? it's got lots of layers and lots of um, <laughs> lots of variety packed in that biscuit. And I really really want some chaffer cakes. Yeah. <laughs> Me too. <laughs> Me too. <laughs> Oh, thank you so much, Olamide, for um, for everything that you do with Melanin Medics and for taking the time to come and speak to us on the podcast. Is there anything else that you'd like to like to leave our, our listeners with? Well, I'd like to thank you. Thank you for having me. Um, you know, MWLF, 105 years. That's what we're going for. That's what we're going for. It's, it's amazing. And just to see the evolution of MWF as well over the years, it's, it's really to be celebrated. So yeah, thank you for paving the way. Thank you for being part of change for all of us women, for promoting leadership amongst women as well, and just being be a safe space for women as well. So I'm gr- very grateful <laughs> for the MWF. And yeah, I think if, if there's any listeners who are navigating their leadership journey, I love, love, love talking about leadership, particularly for young leaders as well, based on my experience as well. So feel free to reach out to me. Um, on LinkedIn or any other way um, and I'll be happy to share some advice the little that I have <laughs> wonderful and we'll put links to the Melanin, Melanin Medics website and everything in the in the show notes as well so thank you so much Alamide thank you thank you for listening to the Medical Women podcast make sure to subscribe for free on whichever podcast platform you listen on so that you can automatically get our episodes If you enjoyed this episode, we'd be so grateful if you could rate and review the podcast. This is a brand new podcast and it would really help people to know that we exist. 
If you're interested in joining the Medical Women's Federation, we'd love to have you. And all links to our website and social media are in the show notes. This podcast has been produced on behalf of the Medical Women's Federation by Dr. Nathana Bankram and Miss Jenna McKenzie. Our music was composed and played by Miss Kithki Bankram. Thank you so much for listening and we'll see you again soon.